Hi, welcome to Scope of Practice, a Ropes and Gray podcast series for U.S. law students. In this podcast, we'll take an inside look into different practice groups and the life of attorneys in those groups here at Ropes and Gray. I'm Yoni Levy, a partner in our asset management group based in Boston. On this episode, I'm joined by Annie Ray Lovell, an associate in our litigation and enforcement group in New York, and by Christina Ravello, an associate in our award-winning healthcare group in DC, fresh off of winning Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice Group of the Year by the American Lawyer for 2022. Hi, Christina. Hi, Annie Ray. Hi, Yoni. Hi there. Great to have you on. Um, why don't we start with a bit of background about yourself? your practice group and and how it was that you landed in that practice group. Christina, why don't we start with you? I'm in the healthcare practice group. Um, I won't take us through the entire saga of how I ended up um, in this practice group, but I guess the takeaway is um, I wasn't exactly sure um, of what practice group I wanted to be in at all when I was in law school. And so during my summer, um, we got some sort of note asking if anyone wanted to split their summer with business restructuring. So I actually spent my summer doing life sciences and business restructuring. And it turned out that the business restructuring group was on the same floor as healthcare. I didn't really know what they did. I didn't know what that practice looked like, even though most of my family is actually in healthcare. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. And so I really got to learn from everyone else there going, you know, socializing during the summer, during the coffees, during the lunches, and really got to learn that actually it totally makes sense to me, the practice group. Great. Thanks. Uh, what about you, Anyway? I never considered uh, joining the corporate group at any law firm. And sometimes when law students ask me how I chose litigation, I feel like I didn't do enough legwork to choose between uh, corporate and litigation. Um, I I was really into moot court in law school and debate in high school and college. So I sort of just ruled out anything but litigation um, when I was looking at joining a law firm. And, and you know, I also stumbled into sort of my more specific um, focuses within litigation. I split my time from year to year pretty evenly between restructuring litigation. So with the bankruptcy uh, folks that Christina uh, split her summer with, um, as well as corporate and commercial litigation. So uh, between those two groups, I, I had no idea what bankruptcy was when I was in law school. I didn't take bankruptcy when I was in law school and I happened to have a summer advisor who was in the midst of a bankruptcy case when I was a summer associate, um, spent some time helping him and the team out. Um, and it just so happened that a case was still going on when I returned to the uh, firm as a first year. And so that was sort of how I, I started working on restructuring litigation specifically um, and really enjoyed the people and the fast paced nature of the work. So I continue to do a fair amount of restructuring litigation uh, within our broad-based litigation practice. That's great. I think that really highlights for the corporate folks why we choose corporate work because you don't you don't tend to leave the firm, go back, finish law school and come back. Cor corporate projects are still going on, but I think uh, I think it's different for litigators who can feel really attached to their projects that it's it's nice to watch their baby grow up and maybe by the time they're 10 or 15 they're ready to move out of the house and and resolve. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to scare anyone. There are matters that move a lot more quickly, and typically uh, the, the bankruptcy matters are the more fast-paced matters. So by no means does it mean that uh, you join the litigation practice and you're tethered to matters for years on end, but sometimes that happens. <laughs> That's great. I also love that both you and Christina touched on bankruptcy work 
one of you stuck it out and the other one decided this is not for me. Christina, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about as someone who walked through a few different practice groups in trying to find your way within the corporate department, what was it about uh, healthcare in particular that attracted you to that group over some of the other groups you experienced? You know, so I think that one aspect of it is just like the culture of the group. I really got along with the people that are in the healthcare group. And I just felt like it was a really good personality fit for me. The group, like the rest of Ropes and Gray, honestly, it strives for excellence, likes to get in the weeds on things, um, produce excellent work. So I think a big part of it was, although I said that I know that I wanted to go into the corporate department, I still had that lingering feeling that I didn't know if it was correct, that I wanted to do more transactional work. And so something that I liked about the healthcare group is that it's more of a regulatory practice, like our life sciences practice too. So while it sits in the corporate department, the actual group itself will do anything from transactions to litigation to regulatory compliance work. And I like the fact that I could actually just like try different things still within the same group. I do get the experiences of working with our litigation teams. I work with our PE folks, STG, um, all the different practice groups we we work with in the healthcare group. And so I like that I get to work with everyone all over the firm um, and still get to have a pretty broad practice even to this day. That's fascinating. Uh, can you tell us a bit about some of the types of projects you work on then in each of those categories? What what's What is a typical project look like in a litigation-focused healthcare project versus a transaction-focused versus regulatory-focused? Yeah, so for the litigation side, it might be anything from working on a false claims act case that our litigation teams will be working on. They might be working with the healthcare group uh, and have them on as specialists for the litigation. So we'll be supporting our litigation folks who might be thinking more through more so about litigation strategy behind it, um, working with the government, but we might be doing more of the research side of things in which we'll be looking into the actual statutes, the regs, what does this mean in the healthcare industry, um, providing a little bit more of that specialist services there. Um, at the same time, litigation, we could also have our own litigation cases and enforcement type cases coming from within the healthcare group. So that might change a little bit. And then in terms of compliance, I think this goes a lot to our fraud and abuse work that we might do. There is also the regulatory side of things. And so more of this might be helping build compliance programs for different healthcare industries. So it might mean we're thinking about behavioral health, for example, and we might tick through all the different types of laws that could be potentially triggered by a behavioral health company. And we'll build a compliance program for them in terms of building out policies, or maybe they have a discrete question. I think some of the more interesting ones that we receive are, hey, we are innovating and we're thinking about a new way to do X. We want to build out this program in this way. What are the problems? And it becomes more of an issue spotting type of exercise. And then working with the business teams in order to create um, what that would look like in a compliant way and thinking about all the healthcare laws that could be potentially triggered. So it's really interesting. And then in our transactional um, work, again, there's a very broad spectrum here, but I think typically where we might land is on the private equity side, in which case our private equity teams at Ropes and Gray, they will have a healthcare team if it's a healthcare-based company that's uh, trying to be acquired. And we will do all the healthcare-based diligence 
um, and also helping them think through potentially like the structure of the deal and what that looks like. Great. And then do people within the healthcare group tend to focus on one of these branches or it's really everyone in healthcare has a mix of, of work in each of these types of work? I would say the first few years is definitely a mix. Um, I think associates are still figuring out exactly, you know, the type of work that they want to do. I would say as you become more senior, I think people start shuffling into certain areas that they want to work on. It could also be where they're shuffling into those certain areas in terms of subject area expertise. The dividing line might not be litigation versus transactional versus regulatory. It might just be, I really like the clinical research space. And so I'm you know, going to be the clinical research subject matter expert, or I really enjoy reimbursement type of work. And so I'm going to become that subject matter expert. And I think at the same time, people might have multiple of those aspects. Do people typically have a technical background of any sort? I will say that most of the people that are in the group have at least some sort of public health bachelor's or, you know, health epidemiology based background, maybe a couple folks with master's of public health. Some are also doctors or might have a PhD. Just just one more question. And then I, I want to uh, flip over to any rate too. But um, you mentioned that on the transactional side, our clients might be private equity firms focusing on acquisitions of some sort of healthcare oriented company. In the other projects, do we tend to work for hospitals, startups with medical devices? What What types of clients do we have? Yes, we have the private equity side, in which case sometimes the companies that are being acquired by our our clients, our private equity clients might also become our clients and they might further on want to do more acquisitions. So we might actually be doing some smaller transactions with some of the portfolio companies of the private equity clients. But we also do academic medical center transactions in which we are working with transactions between public and private entities most of the time is at least what I've seen in the group. Again, I've been here four years, um, so I'm sure that there's more to to dig in there. But in that case, it might just be more of affiliations, joint ventures, and how hospitals work possibly with like private entities um, in order to start innovating in healthcare. Great. So anyway, I feel like you're set up with a difficult task here, which is following up that interesting set of responses from Christina. But can you give us a sense of what at least your practice looks like within the litigation group and what types of projects you work on and who your client, typical client looks like? Definitely. It, it's really interesting to hear Christina talk about being a subject matter specialist, right? Sort of seeing a broad base of types of matters, but all having that sort of kernel or focus on healthcare, because I think in my practice and for a lot of the group, we're not particularly subject matter specialists. We might instead specialize in types of litigations and I use the word specialty not in a in a really narrow focus, but maybe have more experience in or or more of our practices focused on, you know, working with regulators, for instance. That's not something I do, but there's a huge portion of the litigation and enforcement group that does that enforcement piece, works with the SEC, works with the DOJ, um, or others in our group focus on the court or the types of courts that we 
we may work in, you know, some folks um, really focus on arbitrations or others in the court of chancery, which is um, the major sort of corporate litigation venue in Delaware, uh, which for those who aren't as familiar, uh, most major companies and corporations in the United States are, um, you know, they're incorporated in Delaware and Delaware has the more, most robust um, set of laws that govern corporations and companies, uh, LLCs and the like. So there's a whole group of people who focus their work there. So it's interesting to see or hear the um, sort of differences in Christina's practice focusing on a subject matter, whereas we see all sorts of different subject matters. I mean, my clients and my time here have ranged from major media companies um, to oil and gas companies to athletic brands um, to our private equity clients, of course. And it's really been across the spectrum. Um, you know, even within those industries, we sometimes work on behalf of directors and officers specifically. Sometimes we work for the companies themselves. It really is um, a broad-based practice. Within those clients and within those industries, our matters are also across the across the spectrum because they can be at various different stages. So when you join a case, it might be pre-litigation. We might be drafting demand letters on behalf of our clients who are owed money uh, from a transaction or a contract that they entered into. Or you could be filing a case or sometimes more likely uh, being on the receiving end of a case that's filed and uh, be filing a motion to dismiss. Uh, all the way through to discovery with depositions and document review uh, to motion practice and trials. So it, it really does depend. And like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, my practice has focused mostly on restructuring litigation. Uh, so when disputes arise in bankruptcy proceedings or at least sort of distressed debt situations um, and our, our commercial litigation practice. Uh, so working on behalf of uh, major corporations and directors and officers in those corporations when disputes arise. And did something in particular cause you to want to focus on bankruptcy type cases, or was that just by chance that it happened that way? That was just by chance. It was the people I I met at Ropes, and you know, to Christina's point, a lot of where you end up, I think, can be guided by the people you meet and clicking with them. And I really just clicked with my summer advisor and the team that he had working on a bankruptcy case, and it sort of snowballed from there. I kept picking up matters with those people and really enjoyed them. Um, and then from there, I, I realized probably a year and a half in that I also really enjoyed the work. Restructuring litigation is, is really fast-paced things need to happen quickly. I mean, this seems pretty intuitive, but for a company to be in a Chapter 11 proceeding for an extended period of time, ideally a company enters a restructuring and restructures relatively quickly and gets back to the business it wants to be running rather than dealing with a bankruptcy proceeding. So our litigations there tend to be really quick. And that doesn't just mean that you're burning the midnight oil. It means that important and exciting tasks get sort of pushed down to more junior associates. So all the trials that I've been a part of to date were in bankruptcy courts. I went to trial as a first year associate in bankruptcy, as well as I think as a second and third year. So it really meant getting really great experience very early on. And of course, that was really, really appealing to me. Yeah, I, I think people worry when I ask them on this podcast about how they wound up in their practice group, that they need to have some compelling narrative. But I actually think it's really helpful for law students to understand that there's tons of fields of practice 
And within each of those areas, there's tons of sub areas and types of different work that you could be doing. And a lot of times it is just the right group finds you, you find the right group over the course of time. And does that mean that there's uh, not a parallel universe in which I'm perfectly happy as a litigator? No, right? I mean, I, I could be happy as a litigator, but I found the practice group that works for me in asset management and other people have found practice groups that work for them. And, you know, there's plenty of intellectually stimulating work and interesting things to do in all of the fields. And so sort of law students worry a lot about closing doors and finding the right path for them. And, you know, I would encourage people to explore things they're interested in, but not overly worry about it. I think your story, both of your stories actually are good examples of how, you know, the right practice group finds you eventually, and you'll do the work that you want to do. Um, so I think it's an important, uh, an important lesson anyway. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I also think Ropes and Gray, especially the summer program and as junior associates really facilitates that. We're always open to and encouraging um, those folks to try tons of different kinds of matters and, and really take a broad-based approach so they can find exactly what interests them the most, like you're suggesting. So you mentioned a little bit about different roles that you've played, even as a junior associate anyway. Can you talk a little bit more about what people are doing at different levels of seniority in your practice group? What's the level of involvement of partners in all the projects of more senior associates in all the projects and sort of how has your role evolved over time? I would say our most junior associates spend a lot of their time drafting and researching, which I think is a natural and, and, and helpful segue from what they're doing in law school. And they're also really integral to fact development. So identifying key documents that, that we've collected either from our clients that need to be produced in litigation or key documents that are produced to us from the opposing party. I think as you become more of a mid-level associate, so after you've been at the firm a few years, you typically start to attend more calls with co-counsel and opposing parties. Uh, you start to manage the junior associates who are doing those more research um, and document heavy tasks and reviewing their work. And then I think that only amplifies more the, the longer you're here and the more senior you are. So rather than attending those calls and helping prep for those calls, you're leading those calls. You have a greater role in um, corresponding with clients, um, getting phone calls from clients, dealing with those issues, as well as developing strategy in the case. I think the, the more senior you are, you go from sort of seeing a relatively narrow piece of every matter to really understanding the broader scope, the strategy of the matter as a whole, um, and you know, developing longer-term relationships with clients, which obviously is really critical to understanding the business portion of a strategy as well and what it means for our clients to be in these litigations and what the best litigation outcomes are for our clients. In terms of involvement of partners, I, I think it can it can range. Some matters are really small. Sometimes it's just you and a partner. So obviously you're interfacing directly with the partner day to day. And they're heavily involved to much larger teams for large litigations require a lot of bodies, as we say, to be engaging in all of those tasks. And so in those larger teams, if you're you know, a more junior mid-level associate, you may not be having as much direct contact with the partners on a day-to-day -day basis, but the partners are certainly involved in understanding what everybody's role is and providing feedback on all the work product. That's great. That sounds pretty similar to my experience. How about you, Christina? Yeah, I agree with Annie Ray. I think 
for the juniors in the group, I just call it always taking the first pass. I think is probably the easiest way to, for me to say it, given especially like all the different type of work that our group does, it could look really different um, depending both on the actual subject matter, the actual client, and like Annie Ray said, the teams itself. Um, I think we can either have a really stacked team, as I call it, where we're doing, you know, the classic junior, mid-level, senior, senior associate partner, maybe even more partners to it just being, it's your first year and you're doing a direct project uh, with a partner from our group. It just depends on exactly what it is that's at issue. But I will say that most of the time, it's just the juniors taking the first pass. I will say that on most of my matters, I usually ask her, the juniors, to take an initial look at things, or if it's, you know, drafting a research email to a client, um, providing background on an anti-kickback statute um, law, it will be where I would probably ask the junior associates to just like take a first stab at it. And then from there, it's, you know, refined over time or addressing any questions. Um, I will say that now moving into the more mid-level senior role, there's much more client interaction. I think as a junior, I did have that client interaction, um, but I think that I was normally uh, afraid of speaking <laughs> on them. But I will say now as like the mid-senior, I very much feel like it's my job to be the one to be organizing the matters, to be the ones having those discussions with clients and really like driving the matters forward, uh, especially because now I think it's more expected that I know exactly what the next steps are. Like Annie Ray said, I think now I know what the entire system looks like for a certain matter. And I think that part of my job now is to be the one saying, okay, we just finished X. Like, the whole team, we now have to do why next, um, and really being the one thinking about those critical next steps and working with the partners on that. In terms of partner interaction, I think same thing as Annie Ray said, I think it just depends on the matter that it is. I think there are just some matters where it, it might be that the associates are the ones really working out a lot of the kinks and, you know, maybe a partner comes in for supervision to, before it's sent over to the client. Um, but there are also the types that it's just like on a daily basis, I'm working with a partner and we're discussing exactly what to do every single day. And it just depends. Yeah, it depends is, is the number one answer <laughs> in, a lawyer, in a lawyer's playbook. You both mentioned a little bit about partners in your group and, and interactions there, but what about the overall culture of your group? You know, How well integrated do you feel into your group? What is What are mentorship roles like, relationships like within the group, both formally and informally? I think something that I really love about my practice group, and in by no way is it exclusive to my practice group, but I do feel like it's I'm very well integrated into the group, which is was somewhat surprising to me. And I say that only because surprising in the sense of we are about a hundred attorneys, maybe. Um, so, I mean, we're a pretty big group and we are spread out throughout all of the U.S. offices. So we have representation in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Boston, and D.C. And I think something that I really, really love about our group is just how good they are about working across offices. I think that it's never been a question of where you sit for a certain project. I might be on a deal where the partner sits in Boston, the senior associates in LA, the mid-level is in Chicago, and I'm sitting in DC as like the junior associate in that case. And I think one way in which that's really helped is just like how often it happens has really made it so that there are 
lots of people who I, you know, have now met, but have just like worked with exclusively, um, just like from another office, which I think has been really nice. I think that something that my group does is that every single year we actually get together for dinner, um, one dinner in which the entire group goes together to um, the Boston office. And we all actually get to like meet with each other and have this like really nice formal celebration to really recap the year together. And I think that that's always been a really nice way um, to make everyone feel like they're a part of the group and really integrated there. Great, thanks. Uh, Annie Ray, how about you? I have to echo a lot of what Christina said about how uh, cross-staffing is means that you feel really integrated into the group. I uh, started in our Boston office as a junior associate and moved to New York, and that transition was really seamless because we have major litigation presence um, in both the Boston office and the New York office. I'd already worked with attorneys in both places, and so in a lot of ways it, it didn't matter from a professional standpoint exactly what office I was sitting in. I think the pandemic only amplified that to a certain extent. I, in my own small way, am reaching out to our most junior associates now that we're back in the office and trying to get to know them and take them for coffee. I know a lot of various groups are trying to do that as well. I'm sure we'll talk about the Women's Forum later, but that's you know a great vehicle for getting to know others in your group as well as outside of your group. So the litigation department does a great job of integrating associates into the group, into the firm. I also think, you know, mentorship is is really important in that way too. There's certainly formal mentorship opportunities. Uh, you're assigned a mentor when you're a junior associate, but informal mentorship is something that I've sort of been blown away by um, during my time at the firm. I have a whole host of informal mentors that, you know, I have the opportunity to speak to about different different things, right? I have mentors maybe that I really want to speak to about what types of litigation matters I should be focusing on next for my development versus, you know, some mentors that are, are more tuned into maybe external opportunities I should be seeking out to really develop as an attorney. And, and I think it's really important to have those, those mentors and advocates. And I, I think even on a more general level, the litigation group, and I'm sure other groups do this too, but if you have a question, people never hesitate to reach out to the full group and ask if someone's come across a certain type of situation, a certain type of legal question, or whether they know someone in a state we don't practice in, and folks are always willing to jump in and, and provide their input and mentorship in that way as well. That's great. Very interesting, and thanks for bringing up the Women's Forum. I know you're both members in the Ropes and Gray Women's Forum. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more about what that experience has been like, what what it means to be part of the Women's Forum, um, and sort of some give us a, a sense of your experiences with the Women's Forum. I'll start with you, Annie Ray, since you brought it up. The Women's Forum at Ropes and Gray is is a longstanding group at the firm of female um, identifying attorneys. It's, it's both a broad group across the entire firm, as well as we have what we call circles of smaller groups of attorneys within certain offices and sometimes further divided up into practice groups. So for instance, in the New York office, we have a women's forum circle specifically in litigation. And the thinking there is we want the circles to be 
small enough that the events that we host are, are truly opportunities to connect with others. But of course, we also host Women's Forum-wide events. We certainly have some excellent speakers come in and speak to the entire Women's Forum. Uh, more recently, we've been hosting something called Women's Forum Quarterly Wednesdays, uh, which are opportunities for folks to raise any issues they have, to workshop ideas about how to tackle maybe some difficult topics. And so that that's the Women's Forum in a nutshell, is a platform for connection with other female attorneys, for workshops and events. Uh, with other female attorneys, both truly substantive. Last year, we had a speaker come talk about harnessing your voice. It was someone who specialized in how to best present yourself um, to, to others. And obviously, that's important for attorneys as a whole, but it had a unique angle and perspective for female attorneys uh, to some just sort of more fun and frivolous activities like champagne tastings and wreath making and, and the like. So I'll pause there. I'm happy to answer more questions, but but also want to hear um, Christina's experience because uh, we are not in the same circle. So we haven't had the opportunity to interact in that way before. No, I think that that was a great description of what the Women's Forum is like. I think even just seeing how excited we are to talk about the Women's Forum um, just shows how great it is. I think that it's a really, really special community that's been here longstanding before me, but being a part of it ever since I first came in has been a really special part of my time here at Ropes and Gray. So in the DC office, you know, the we actually are a small enough of an office where we are just one circle for the entire DC office. And so I'm one of the circle leaders this year and part of a planning committee as like the circle leader. There's a partner, Kelly Combs, who leads our circle, and there's four of us associates who help support all the initiatives of the Women's Forum. But most of it is honestly just getting to know all the um, female identifying attorneys in our office and really getting to know what it is that they need in order to be successful here at Ropes and Gray. And so while we are circle leaders, we by no means are just doing things on our own. We take into account everything that everyone is talking about or has concerns about and really want to be there for them, you know, and that might be something more formal in terms of the event planning that we actually do, in which like Annie Ray, we do frivolous. So tomorrow, for example, we're doing a wine garden happy hour. Uh, now that all of our first year associates started, luckily it's a heated patio because it is uh, in the thirties here in DC, which I don't think anyone was planning for. But then we have an event that's actually about dressing for your brand in which we have a fashion consultant coming just to give some tips into how you can actually find empowerment based on how you dress for work. And then we might also have more professional development type of panels. For example, like we did some cross office event with, I believe it was Chicago, uh, where we had a panel of Ropes and Gray alumni women who spoke about what it was what their career paths were like and what ultimately led them um, to the roles in which they're at today. Most of them uh, were GCs of certain companies and really got to learn about their path and what that, you know, what their development has looked like over the years and the tools that they have used in order to move their uh, profession forward. So it really is like a very multifaceted group. And I think, you know, it's really built upon both the actual leadership of the Women's Forum uh, on the firm level. I think, you know, 
it's definitely a very important group for the firm. And we feel that as a group. And I think that that has also helped empower everyone to feel like they have a stake in the group. And so really when we do these quarterly forums, when we do them both firm-wide and also for our specific circles or our specific offices, um, you know, we really get to know one another in the groups and we really get to learn from one another. And we find mentors uh, within our women's forum circles who might not even be in our practice group, but have actually honestly have helped like change our lives while we've been here at Ropes. So it's a really important group for us and we feel really passionate about it. I couldn't agree more with all of that. I, I think one thing I just want to emphasize or amplify is how serious I think people take the forum. Not not in a serious we we don't have fun way, but I really do. I've I've been taken aback sometimes by how heartfelt and important of topics people will raise either with me individually as a circle leader or in some of these more broad forums. Um, and the fact that they feel comfortable raising any sort of issue and that I think that that action will be taken for me is really speaks to the importance of the forum and the good work that that it does. And by serious, I, I don't mean at all to suggest serious issues at the firm, but rather things that might be difficult for someone to to balance in their practice. They're looking for guidance on what it looks like to be coming back into the office. Some of our most junior associates spent their first year and a half or two years working from home, and they really wanted to discuss, you know, what it looks like to be heading into the office two to three days a week, because that's just not a professional experience that they've had before. Or maybe someone is dealing, you know, with a health issue or the like, and they're looking for support and guidance on how to balance that with their career. And so, I always, um, you know, really moved and, and appreciate that people are willing to raise those issues and that we have a uh, forum, for lack of a better word, uh, in this instance in, in which to discuss them. That's great. I love that Christina said that you, you can see that they're very excited about this. Unfortunately, you can all hear their voices, but I can see their faces. And I can tell you when we when we got on this topic, they're both smiling ear to ear. Do you think that there are unique challenges facing female identifying attorneys? And how is the forum important in that sense? I can't say emphatically enough that there certainly are unique issues that female identifying attorneys everywhere face, um, not just at this firm, but every firm, and not to take it even further afield, but in every profession and in every job. And so one of the things I think is most powerful about the Women's Forum is it's really hard to tackle, you know, feminism writ large or issues women face writ large, although we can all do what we can there. But to attempt to take it in a bite-sized chunk, which is what can we do for female identifying attorneys at Ropes and Gray, and sometimes even further in New York in litigation, at least to me, is is a is a productive and purposeful step forward. And so sometimes those seemingly small issues about how the office or the firm or the group is handling something does impact female identifying associates or partners in, in a specific way. And so the forum does enable us in the first instance to raise those issues. I've been surprised over time that I or others will raise something that others just didn't realize was something that was was great or was difficult about a decision that 
was made or, or was being considered. So it provides an opportunity to, to raise it, uh, which is always the first step, and then to start to either workshop internally amongst our group or to start to identify the right resources. And I think that is certainly a positive step in the right direction for addressing any issues that are unique to, to female attorneys. That was great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. If either of you have any specific anecdotes of advice or support opportunities or something that came out of the Women's Forum generally or your circle in particular that, that speak to you? I'm sure there are a million things that have happened that have impacted me and, and my trajectory at the firm. But very early on, um, after I moved to New York, I was at a meeting with Lisa Bebchek, who is a women's forum leader at the at the firm-wide partner level. And um, she and I were getting to know each other. And she mentioned to me that it would be great if I could work on the junior board of an external organization and that that would be a really great career development um, step for me. And having gotten to know Lisa, she ended up recommending me uh, to the uh, Pro Bono Advisory Council for the New York Lawyers for the Public Interest, which is sort of what we call a, a junior board for the organization. Knowing that she was looking out for me, reached out to me and, and wanted me to have an opportunity like that, I think is a great example of the kinds of connection and mentorship um, that can come out of the Women's Forum and our circles. So in the DC Women's Forum circle, there's actually a small offshoot um, that's actually called the Women of Color Collective, in which it is under the Women's Forum umbrella, but is specifically for women of color, um, so intersectional in that sense. And so while that is a part of like the Women's Forum planning, it is planned a bit separate and might have more of like a quarterly lunch together to really discuss um, issues that are relevant to women of color specifically. Um, I'm also a part of the Ropes Multicultural Forum in which that is like the firm wide um, for just generally like having a multicultural background or like people of color. Um, and then within there, there are subgroups that might be specific. Um, and so I'm part of the Latinx affinity group under the Ropes Multicultural Forum as well. And your women's circle offshoot, it sounds like, is particularly meaningful to you? Yeah, so it's, you know, in the D.C. office, we have pretty good representation of women of color, um, both at the partnership level and the associate level. And so having that specific mentorship has been really, really important for me. Um, there's actually a specific woman in the Women of Color Collective who's also in the Women's Forum. She's a partner, not in my group, but happened to be that we were speaking at one of these events about how I had a client presentation coming up. And so the next day she's like, we're going to coffee and we're going to talk about this presentation. And the whole time at coffee, I was like, this is exactly what I do before I, before I present to any client. I do X, I do Y, I do Z. You need to do this. You need to pretend and do this. Like gave me an exact to-do list of exactly what I needed to do in order to have this client presentation. And so it was really successful. Um, and having her tips was really helpful. And I think that that's just like a good example of, um, where like that intersectionality for the women's forum group was like really important for me um, and my development here. I think one of the things that's coming through in what you said and how you said sort of Ropes and Gray is very serious about the women's circle really 
touches on why I personally chose the firm, why I chose to come to Ropes and Gray. I feel like the firm is full of very genuine people who actually care. And, you know, it's a work environment. We do good work. We try to do good work. But ultimately, everyone here is still a human being and sort of very genuinely interested in, you know, being good to each other and creating a good environment. Um, so that's part of why I chose the firm, but I'm curious to hear why you and Christina chose the firm. And maybe we'll start with Christina. What what it was it about Ropes and Gray that attracted you here in particular? I mean, you hit it right on the head. I think my main reason that I chose Ropes and Gray was because I felt like it was a really genuine firm. I felt like everyone that I talked to during my interviews were completely being themselves. Um, I think the way that one person said it uh, who I interviewed with was that they felt that they could put on rap in their offices and no one would judge them, <laughs> uh, was the exact anecdote that I was given. But I think that that's really true. I think everyone brings their own personality to it. And I think something that's so great is that ropes and gray makes it, makes you feel appreciated for bringing, um, your personality to work and that like, you might have a different perspective and you might have a different way of, of thinking about a project, about thinking about, you know, like your interactions or anything like that. Um, but I think it's always been open and appreciated and really genuine. And I have always felt like I could speak my mind, be myself, listen to my Cuban music in my office. Um, and I think that that is the reason I chose Rose and Gray. Yeah. As someone who sends no fewer than 15 memes in a day, um, I can definitely appreciate that. Uh, but maybe you could send me some of that Cuban music afterwards. I'm always looking for new things to jam out, jam out to in my office while I'm working. <laughs> Will do. Okay. How about you, Annie Ray? Yeah, I feel like um, you both stole my script from uh, all, all my uh, interviews and, and recruiting events. Um, and by script, I just mean how, how I usually say it. Uh, it's totally genuine. I chose Rips and Gray because of the people I met. And every day, every year, that's the reason I, I stay as well at, at the heart of it. Obviously, the matters are interesting um, and exciting and challenging, and some days and nights are long and things are crazy. But at the end of the day, the people that I work on the matters with are always kind, and they treat you like a person, uh, which I think can't be taken for granted sometimes. I I, I think it's important that while we're working hard and we have important and difficult matters to work on, at the end of the day, we're all people um, with lives outside of this firm. And, and for us to be recognized and treated um, with respect is, is really important. It makes the job um, easier to do or, or possible to do because uh, it, it takes a lot um, and it's, it's definitely worth it, uh, but it, it requires that kindness and respect from from all of our colleagues and and I feel like I I get that and I'm glad I somehow saw that in the very brief interviews and conversations that I had with people during the on-campus recruiting and callback process sometimes I I feel very lucky uh, that that maybe I I identified some kernel of that in those those brief initial conversations with folks at ropes yeah I I agree people here are well-rounded and interested in teaching you, but not, um, but, but kind, generally kind. Uh, what is something you mentioned sort of being a person outside the office? What, what is something that you do outside the office in your spare time, um, that you, that you're willing to share? I'll start with you anyway. 
uh, <laughs> I really, uh, I really dug dug myself in on that one. Outside of the office, I'm really into home renovation and restoration. Uh, I love small DIY projects. You know, anything from changing a light fixture, uh, hanging hanging curtains um, to bigger endeavors. Uh, I'm currently planning a kitchen renovation uh, in my apartment in Brooklyn, and I'm really excited about it, albeit a little bit intimidated by the planning process. So that's something I really enjoy doing, and I love sort of shopping for vintage furniture and home goods. And uh, people on my teams like to tease me about how many antique doors I like to go out on the weekends and buy. <laughs> That's great. Do you do the actual work yourself, meaning the the home repair type work, or you like being a coordinator and having someone else actual do the implementation? I, I, I try and do a fair amount of it myself. Um, I My dad is incredibly handy and growing up, he built and fixed everything in every one of our homes. And so I try and emulate that a little bit. So if it's something smaller, um, you know, like repairing something on our deck or changing out, like I said, you know, a light fixture, um, painting the walls, I'll, I'll undertake that. I'll try and rope my husband in, but he uh, doesn't enjoy it quite as much as I do. But the kitchen renovation is definitely going to be one for one for a contractor. I don't I don't think I have either the expertise or the time to handle that one. Yeah, so very similar, actually. My father also did all the home repair stuff growing up, and I'm pretty handy. And so I've done, I did all the built-in lighting in my house. I had no built-in lighting when I bought it. And I do some light plumbing and the like, but we recently finished our basement and my wife and I agreed that if we wanted it done sometime in the next five years, we should probably hire a contractor to do it. So we did. What about you, Christina? What are you fixing in your house? This is so impressive <laughs> that you guys are able to do this. So two things. So one is I love cooking, like absolutely love cooking small niche also love meal prepping and talking about meal prepping. So really you don't want to get me started on it. I could talk about it for a really long time and how to appropriately create a system for weekly meal prepping. But I do have to say that I do love cooking in general. My family is Cuban. My husband is Lebanese. I think we come from like really interesting culinary backgrounds. And so we, I, something that's really important for both of us is really getting to learn like the recipes of our cultures and like having that as part of our time at home. And so we're constantly, uh, I'm constantly <laughs> looking at, um, at recipes online to try different things every week, uh, part of my meal prepping. And then I have a very serious wanderlust, um, and what that means is that I create fake itineraries for trips constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an entire file that's just dedicated to like random seven day itineraries um, for trips. And so you'll find me a lot on like travel blogs, checking things out. So can we just email you to ask for vacation itineraries before we go? <laughs> yes. Yes. I would love that. The COVID pandemic like really got to like a lot of pent up itineraries like over time when we weren't able to travel. Um, but it worked out this year. We uh, we went on safari um, recently. So that was really fun. And like we planned it ourselves. We did all the traveling ourselves. Um, Where did you go? We went to Tanzania and Zanzibar wow. um, for two weeks. That's so amazing. At least I got to check off one of my itineraries <laughs> from the file. 
That's amazing. And do you have any Cuban Lebanese fusion dishes? Like what's a Cuban Lebanese dish? <laughs> a lot of like meats involved, um, like ground beef, for example, it's like a good one, but they're prepared in very different ways with different spices. So sometimes we might combine those <laughs> to create like, like a kibbeh. Yeah. Like a kibbeh. Um, with like picadillo and Cuban food. Oh, cool. Um, so might do that. Or for example, like both of them have pies. Um, so it might be where we do like the Cuban empanada, but like with kibbe, like me. <laughs> wow. That sounds amazing. So, yeah. When you open a restaurant, please make it kosher and then I'll come. I was going to say our long-term retirement life is that we want to have a Cuban Lebanese restaurant, but we'll see. We'll see. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Christina and Anirae, generally for joining and sharing your insights into government enforcement, healthcare, the women's circle, RMF, really all of your experiences at the firm. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you found this to be a useful episode. If there's a specific practice group or area you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please reach out to me directly. I'd love to hear from you. If you're a U.S. law student or recent graduate and would like to learn more, please visit our website at ropesgrayrecruiting.com slash us slash law students or check us out on instagram at ropes gray you can also subscribe to this series wherever you typically listen to podcasts including on apple google and spotify thanks again for listening see you soon 